Well, this morning I'm starting a two Sabbath series, this Sabbath and next, called The Summer of Me. You might wonder about that title, but you know, summer seems to be a time when maybe we're a little more carefree. We're out of school, we don't have to study as much. Maybe the kids are out and, and you feel that extra stress, some of you. For many, it's a time to go on vacation, to get some R&R, and that's not a bad thing. Please don't misunderstand me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Vacation is not a bad thing, and I'll mention more about that. But sometimes we can approach summer like it's the summer of me, myself, and I. We want to go to a place like this, don't we? Where we can just sit and lounge and watch the waves roll in and relax a little bit. We can just kind of stretch. Or maybe we want to go pamper ourselves and go to the spa. I mean, who doesn't like to go to the spa and put cucumbers? I mean, that's what, what gar- summer gardens are for, right? Some say, well, I want to go on a cruise. Let's go on a cruise. And there's all kinds of things on that boat to entertain you on your cruise, on this summer of me. Others of you say, well, I just really like a good banana split. I mean, if I'm going to indulge this summer, just give me a banana split with the hot fudge and different kinds of ice cream and the whipped cream, and, and there's even some chocolate curls. Woo! It's a great way to kick off the summer of me. Yes. Others say, well, I want to go out on the golf course. I want to swing my clubs. Others say, no, I want to go shopping. I mean, what better way to have a summer of me than to get some new duds, right? I need new clothes. What I had from last year is so last year. I need something new. Others say, I like to keep it more simple. I like to go to the cabin on the lake. Just some quiet time to reflect. Yeah. If anybody owns this cabin on the lake, by the way, make sure you write that on a blue card and put that in the offering plate. <laughs> I'd like to visit and find out when you're going to go on your vacation. <laughs> Just a little cruise around the lake and your little antique, simple boat. Summer of me. Others of you might say, you know, I like to keep it more simple. I like to go camping. So you have everything there in your VW bug and you go camp and again, you can accomplish the summer of me. And VWs aren't that big. In fact, my son looked at this picture. He said, where do you sleep? And I tried to point out it's back here in the back somewhere. Uh, But there's really no room. I guess you can sort of grill here, but it's not really the way you want to do it on the open flame. So if you forgot, you can just make up for it. (laughs) Because again, food is part of the summer of me. Others of you say, no, for me, I just want a hammock. I want a good book. I just want to relax and enjoy. Now again, I'm not against vacation. I'm not against pulling away and pulling apart and and being able to to reflect. In fact, sometimes our best aha moments when it comes to family or marriage and relationships or ministry or whatever is when we can pull away and when we can kick back and relax and not be so crowded by all the, the pings and the phones going off and all the rest. I get that and I'm in full agreement of that. In fact, that's why I put this picture up. Do you recognize the, the joker right here in the front? That's us doing paragliding in Switzerland. Somebody very kind said, you know, 
we want you to do something. Here's some money to do something you wouldn't do otherwise. And so all the way over there, Elizabeth and I were thinking, what, what could we use this for to do that, what we wouldn't do otherwise? And so we did this. And in case you think, you know, Elizabeth is so sweet and so innocent, she did it too. <laughs> yeah. She was up there. Jesus himself said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Rest can be important. But rest is almost starting to be redefined. Because no longer is it about me having time to pull away from the world, but it can be a time for me to engage more deeply in the world, to pursue all those things that excite and entertain and on and on. And rather than coming apart and resting in Christ, we're really resting in somebody else. Desire of Ages, it says, they had been putting their whole souls into labor for the people, and this was exhausting their physical and mental strength. It was their duty to rest. And so sometimes it's your duty and my duty to rest. That's why this same God who instituted the Sabbath says, I want you to rest once a week, because rest is important. But how you rest maybe is something to think about. One of my favorite ways to rest and to be recharged is doing something like this, where it's quiet, there's no rush, there's no hurry, it's my Bible, I love it when I can be out in nature. And God can speak in powerful ways in those times that can rejuvenate the soul, sometimes in a lasting way that can last for, for days, if not weeks or months, in some of those times. I was having a conversation with Marilyn Bauer this week, and she pointed this out in one of our Adventist publications. In 1930, after tithe, Adventists gave about 6.45% of their income to the mission offering. Okay, so that's a sizable chunk beyond tithe that they give, gave in 1930. Now the Depression started to set in in 1929, but they were still giving 6.45% of their income. Fast forward to 2008, that's the year we elected Barack Obama, just to give you some frame of reference. Again, after tithe, Avenus only gave 0.36%, like a third of a percent income to the mission offering on average. That's a big jump. And I found myself scratching my head saying, man, what would be causing that? Oh, maybe it has something to do with it's the summer of me or the fall of me, or winter of me. It really doesn't matter. It's about me and fulfilling what I want to do to go where I want to go and all these kinds of things. It's because I have to pay for this kitchen. I have to keep up with the Joneses. I have to drive this car. I have to do all this stuff. And so mission, I, it's just not in the budget. It's below the line. And that's where I see a problem. Turn me if you have your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we read a few verses. 2 Peter Small book near the back of your Bible, right before 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and right after James. 2nd Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, 
What manner of persons ought you to be? In holy conduct and godliness, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now that's a passion of my heart, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What does it mean to hasten? Cause something to happen sooner than it otherwise would. That's what it means to hasten. Many of you practiced this this morning when you were trying to get to, to church on time. There was some hastening taking place. Can you hurry? We're going to be late. we got to go. Many of you prepared during the week so that you would be able to get here on time by preparing in advance. But we can hasten the coming of the day of God. We can have it come sooner than it would have otherwise. Desire of Ages 633, by giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. That's exciting. It's in your power and my power to hasten, to speed up, to bring it sooner. Well, but I just don't really have time. How do you not have time? Do you have time to do all the other things that you want to do? Well, I don't really have the resources. Really? Didn't I just see you at the outlets this week? Yeah, that's why I don't have the resources. I don't know. By giving the gospel to the world, it's in our power to hasten our Lord's return. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, this is Jesus' words, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That will happen. And people oftentimes like to say things like, well, it's God's work, it's not our work. And that's true. It is God's work. But he chooses to use us. And if we're not willing to be used, he'll use somebody else. But woe be it unto us. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached. And we have the responsibility to preach it, to hasten, to speed up the coming of Jesus. And this is... This scripture that we just read in Matthew 24 on the lips of Jesus, we see the fulfillment here now in Revelation 14, 6 to 12. This is the three angels message, and this is describing the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that this gospel will be preached around the world. And then right after the three angels message, what do we have? Jesus comes, Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Jesus is going to come. And Revelation 14 talks about the fulfillment of the gospel being preached to the world at this time. Volume 9 of Testimonies, page 19. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. We have a responsibility. They've been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Friends, those are solemn words. Nothing else. Now she's saying we shouldn't eat, we shouldn't sleep. No, I don't think she's saying those things. But what really grips and captures our attention today? Is it proclaiming this special message that God has given to us, or is it just really carrying out the summer of me? You only live once. 
Well, if that's your attitude, that might be the case. A lot of people like to say, well, I don't know enough yet, Pastor. I can't explain the three angels' messages to anybody. I can't tell them the truth about anything. That's your job. You're the one that's got, you know, degrees and stuff. But I can't do it. I don't know enough. Remember the story of um, Jesus and his disciples? And they go up on the bank, and there's this guy that's demon-possessed, and he runs at them. And if you read the account, all the disciples do what? They flee. They run away. And Jesus stands his ground. He casts out the demon. And then the man, what does he want to do? He wants to come with them. He says, let me go with you. And you know the response Jesus gave him? Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And now he's had compassion on you. Jesus didn't say, well, go to seminary for the rest of your life. Go read through the entire Old Testament four or five times. How come? Because you don't know enough yet. This guy was demon-possessed like two minutes ago, and Jesus is saying, now go tell your friends what I have done for you. That's a testimony. You don't have to get off track and do all the other stuff and then, you know, have this come-to-Jesus moment. No, you just tell people what Jesus has done for you. At this Shine camp, we were trying to train young families and even their children to give Bible studies. And I said, it's really not that hard. It's like making breakfast. How easy is that? You pour in some cereal, you pour in some milk, and you eat it. It's really that simple. You pour in some Bible verses. Well, which ones? Any ones you want. The Bible is living and active and a double-edged sword even to divide bone and marrow. Let the Word of God do the heavy lifting. And so you just read a passage. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood is discouraged. Put a, a Bible study together of encouraging text. I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, whatever they are. And just put three, four, five. That'll be fine. And then your kids can walk over and say, hey, I know you're going through a tough time right now. I know you've been in the hospital, but I, I have a couple passages I thought would be encouraging to you. Is there any time that, that I could just go over some of those with you from the Bible? They might say no. So what? Chances are, especially if they're little kids, they'll say, yeah, okay. And I told them, you just read the verse, and then you say, wow, isn't that a cool verse? What do you think it means? And then you don't say anything. Huh. Yeah, me too. And I like this verse because. They go to the next one. What do you think it means? And the next one, what do you think it means? Can I pray with you? Lord, please be with Mrs. Smith. Amen. And you go home. Let God's word do the heavy lifting. Oh, but I don't know enough yet. Oh, I like this one from Education 671. All who engage in ministry are God's helping hand. They are co-workers with the angels. Rather, they are the human agencies through which angels accomplish their mission. So angels are working through you and I, the human agencies. And then get this, angels speak through their voices and work by their hands. And the human workers cooperate with heavenly agencies, have the benefit of their, speaking of the angel's education, and the angel's experience. So what excuse do you have? None. Because the angels are going to speak through you. The angels are going to be your hands. Well, I don't have any experience. The angels will be your experience. So you just go. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore. You know, we talk about the Ten Commandments. Any English teachers? Is this a command? Or is it just a request? 
I mean, maybe we should translate the Bible again and, and after the summer of me, then if there's time when school picks up and everything gets crazy again, then go therefore in the cracks and make it. No! Go therefore is the command and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Here Jesus is passing off the baton, right? Have you ever seen a race like this, a relay race? And let's suppose you're running and there's, there's four laps and you have four people in, on your team and you're running, you're a little bit behind, but then you're starting to catch up, you know, and then the third person goes and you're just right neck and neck and you're down to your fastest person, right? And you're, you're just really hoping and you're rooting. Okay, here we go. And there's that handoff and you give that up and just reach and they take it and they just stand there. Go! Right? Run! I don't, I don't know enough. I don't have enough experience. I might mess up. Might not win the race, so I'm just gonna. I mean, what is that? Here Jesus passed us a baton, and then if we just take it and stuff in our pocket and say, yeah, I have the three angels' message. It's, it's one of these somewhere, yeah, but I, I have it. But if we're not living it, if we're not passing it on, we've dropped the baton. Manuscript releases, says this, in his revelation are given, the three angels' messages. We're not only to read and understand this message, but to proclaim it with no uncertain sound to the world. By presenting these things revealed to John, we shall be able to stir the people. Do the people need stirring today? They do. Are they hard to stir? They are. But listen to this. The usual subjects on which the ministers of nearly all other denominations dwell will not move them. Wow. Why? What are the usual subjects? Well, it's, you know, it's the cross and Jesus and grace and Jesus paid it all. That's true. But you never hear prophecy. You never hear the three angels' message. You never hear all kinds of other things. And so we as a culture in North America have become gospel-hardened because I can have the summer of me and God's grace is always there and I can have that too. I can just, I can have the best of both worlds because it's not going to move the people. These usual subjects won't work. But our message is unique, and it's based on prophecy. The world is to be warned with the proclamation of this message. If we blanket it, if we hide our light under a bushel, if we so circumscribe ourselves that we cannot reach the people, we are answerable to God for our failure to warn the people. You had it in your coat pocket, and you left it there. So let's talk a little bit more about this prophetic message. Christ's preaching, by the way, was a prophetic message. Some of the first words he said, the time is fulfilled. Remember that 2300-day prophecy? And it says exactly when his ministry would begin. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the fulfillment of prophecy. The apostles' message were based on the fulfillment of prophecies of Christ. Peter in Acts 2 uses prophecy to prove Jesus as the Messiah. Go read it later today. Paul preached that Christ, a fulfillment of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 15. He uses prophecy to say, this is it. This is Christ. Stephen proved Christ as the Messiah through prophecy in Acts 7 before they stoned him. Over and over and over again, they're using prophecy. The Adventist message is a revelation of Jesus Christ in prophecy. Now, the three angels' messages are clearly prophetic. And that's easy for us to nod our heads to and say, yes, but sometimes we think 
that if we invite them to a prophecy seminar and then speak to them about the state of the dead, we've done this bait and switch, and it's just not right. It's false advertising. But friends, that also includes, is included in our prophetic message. It also includes our doctrinal understandings. Look at Daniel 8.12. You know 8.14, under 2300 days and sanctuary shall be cleansed. Is that prophetic language? Yes. Two verses before, because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground, and he did all this and prospered. Friends, at the end of the 2300 days, truth will be restored. And so when we talk about these various things that are doctrinal, we are restoring truth, which is prophetic. Do you see that? Daniel's prophecy is fulfilled in the Advent movement, where truth is being restored. It's not about me. It's not about our denomination. It's about God's word, and it's about truth. So let's look at this three angels message. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people, saying, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And so we're supposed to worship the creator who made everything on the seventh day Sabbath, which it was his idea. And then it's about this idea that the judgment hour has come. Now stop and think about this. When we think about the judgment hour now, we think about Jesus transitioning in from the most, sorry, from the holy place to the most holy place. And he has his own blood and he's interceding on our behalf. That's how we think of it now. But prior to 1844, in the early 1800s, that's not how anybody viewed this. They thought Jesus is coming at the end of the 2300 days, 1844. Jesus is going to cleanse the earth by fire. It was a message of judgment, wasn't it? And so William Miller preached, and, and a lot of others raised up and preached this message fervently, and people's lives were changed and transformed. Why? Because Jesus is coming. I'm going to have to stand before God and face the judgment. What standard is used in the judgment? The law is used as a standard in the judgment. And I need to get my life right with God, and, and I need to pay attention to the law. I need to make sure that his life covers me and my sin. I need to, to work on, on allowing him to sanctify me and so on and so forth. Great Controversy 379, the first angel's message of Revelation 14 announced the hour of God's judgment and calling upon men to fear and worship him was designed to separate the professed people of God from the corrupting influences of the world and to arouse them to see their true condition of worldliness and backsliding. Basically, the first angel's message was a wake-up call. Folks, we got to wake up. Jesus is coming soon. You can't keep doing this riffraff over here and cheating over here and all this other stuff on the side. No, you've got to get your act together by the grace of God. You need to come to church. You need to read your Bible. You know, all those things that you know to do, but uh, 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 it's a summer of me. It was a wake-up call. A lot of people heard the wake-up call. A lot of people allowed it to change their lives. But some scoffed. In the last days, there will be those that scoff. But it was kind of a, a, a reawakening of, of the law, even. I mean, you think about King Josiah. He found the law in the temple, and it brought about revival, didn't it? You remember that story? John the Baptist preached baptism of repentance. Same idea. 
I mean, if you need to repent, that means you're doing something wrong. And if you're doing something wrong, it's because you're being judged in light of the law. Jesus began his public ministry with repent. When the rich young ruler approached Jesus, he pointed out the young man's sin. Oh, that's not popular. Don't point out my sin. I don't like that. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Just leave that alone. And we become gospel-hardened. Grace, 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 grace. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Without the grace of Jesus Christ, we're all lost, right? It's true. But there's a work for us to do. We want him to save us, not in our sin, but from our sin. Peter preached, Jesus, whom you crucified, he told it straight. Christ's Object Lessons 152, the sense of need, the recognition of our poverty and sin is the very first condition of acceptance with God. Think about that for a minute. Because in our society today, I'm not in need of anything. I don't lack anything. I have it all. And I'm, I'm here at church. Why are, you, why are you preaching this to me? I'm here. I can point out a lot of people that aren't here, but I'm here. The sense of need, the recognition of our poverty and sin. The closer you come to Jesus from steps to Christ, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. Have you read this before? The closer you come. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power, that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. No deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. But if we do not see our own moral deformity, it is unmistakable evidence that we have not had a view of the beauty and excellence of Christ. I'm in a good place. Then no, you're not. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Yes, you are. And God's grace is there to pick you up. Let's look at another verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we've been looking in prayer meeting about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And this is speaking to that experience, but gives us some woe, something we should pay attention to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all, how many? All our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. How many? All. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So all of them had the same experience. It doesn't say just a few, just a select. No, it says all. But then verse 5, but when most of them, but with most of them, God was not what? Pleased? For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. With most of them? How many are we talking about? Like two million people. All went through the same experience together. We're in this together. We're here together. We experienced this together and that together and all these things. We all were there. But with most, most of them, God was not pleased. You remember how many went into the promised land? Like two? Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. This is our warning. All of them went through the same experience, but most, all of them, didn't please God. Patriarchs and prophets, during the bondage in Egypt, many of the Israelites had, to a great extent, 
lost the knowledge of God's law and mingled its precepts with heathen customs and traditions. It doesn't say we're going to throw them out. We're just going to mingle them. You ever have your kids mingle like board games and stuff? Ugh. Puzzles? Ugh. Becomes really hard to decipher which is with this game and which is with that game. I mean, it can take hours to sort it all out. Here, God's people have become mingled with heathen customs and traditions, and it's hard to decipher which is true. We don't even worry about that anymore. Don't be so legalistic. We're just going to be a little of this and a little of that, and, and it's all good. And God brought them to Sinai, and there with his own voice declared his law. We studied this like a week and a half ago in prayer meeting. I mean, there's thunder. There's clouds. The earth is shaking. There's a trumpet blaring. And everybody is in awe of what's happening. And God, with his own voice, speaks audibly the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is a wow moment. Because they had lost the knowledge of God's law. Conformity to worldly custom converts the church to the world. It never converts the world to Christ. I mean, that's what you hear a lot. Well, Pastor, if we just had music that the people like, if you just wouldn't preach so much about the law and about sin, if you just emphasize more grace, we could pack people in. Our offerings would go through the roof. We could have an expansion. It'd be huge. By the time it's all done, you'd have a jet to go from this church to another church. I mean, they were, oh. Conformity to worldly custom converts the church to the world. It never converts the world to Christ. I was just reading this this week. I don't know why I get it. Sometimes as a pastor, they just send you stuff because you're a pastor. But it's Christianity Today. So this isn't an Adventist publication. And they had a, an article called Wait Upon the Drop. I think it's talking about a drop beat, but maybe somebody can inform me. I'm not as hip as I used to be. It says here, the house lights are dark as bright beams of electrical blue scan the crowd. White strobes pulsate to the beat. And it talks about how the music starts to, to climax. The snare comes in louder and louder and 16th notes and then the bass. And you get the idea. The Crossing, a non-denominational church in Tampa with a weekly attendance of roughly 3,500. Is one of many congregations now incorporating electronic dance music. What do you think, church? We could fill up this row and this row and that row and the corner over there and some in the back. What's the answer? Electronic dance music. Wow, this is very enlightening. It's not a full-on rave. It's not a full-on rave. And you'll see more traditional instruments like drums, electric guitars, and keyboards. Much of it is set to a tempo around 130 beats per minute. <gasps> EDM, or electronic dance music, once the underpinning of the all-night rave scene has now become one of the most popular mainstream musical styles and is influencing both studio recording Christian worship music and live congregational performances. Have you heard enough? Russ Jones, pastor of Worship Arts at The Crossing, said that EDM has brought youthful edge to its services and helps the church reach a younger generation. It just brings more of a liveliness to the worship atmosphere. You think? When you hear it, you just kind of want to move a little bit. You think? But Jones 46 is careful about how much EDM to incorporate into regular weekend services. What do you think? Electronic dance music. 
George Barn is a statistician. I saw this just, I think it was last night. I was reading in the Adventist Review, and he was part of a, he's not an Adventist, but he does statistics, religious statistics around the world and in North America and all kinds of things. And so he shared some of these statistics at this convention that they had, I think it was in Hungary. And these were his words. He says, we're in crisis. In fact, this is the July issue of the review. We're in crisis. There's a conference on issues impacting families. He said this, children being exposed to extended family gatherings, church services, art exhibits. I'm not sure why I threw that in there. And Bible study. Children average about two hours a week in those areas. So whether it's family gatherings, whether it's a church service, whether it's Bible study, art exhibits, two hours a week. And it didn't say if these are like Christian people or not. I'm assuming this is probably Christian people. But anyway, either way, children are today exposed to professional sports, television news, online content, and current movies seven hours a day. So one is two hours a week. The other is seven hours a day. What's seven times seven? Too much. And he says, the biblical worldview of our children and our families is being rewired. And, the fact, and just even having a biblical worldview, and he started to break down the 18 to 30-year-olds and the 30 to whatever. He says, it's like becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. What does the Bible say? I don't know. I don't care. I just listen to seven hours of all this stuff all the time. Well, I spend two hours at, you know, family gatherings and crack a Bible or two. And they mix and they mingle electronic dance, rave, church thing. I must be spiritual. Everything's okay because I heard about the grace of Jesus Christ and I'm going to go do whatever I want to do again. We're in crisis. Listen to this in Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, 339. Through those that have a form of godliness, but know not the power. That's a Bible verse. We can gain many who would otherwise do us great harm. This is the devil speaking. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God will be our most effective helpers. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. Those of this class who are apt and intelligent will serve as decoys. Are you apt? Are you intelligent? You're going to serve as decoys to draw others into our snares. And many will not fear their influence because they have professed the same faith. This is beautiful. They'll never see it coming. They're having this too. ha, ha, ha. We will thus lead them to conclude that the requirements of Christ are less strict than they once believed and that by conformity to the world, they would exert a greater influence with worldlings. It was told before it happened and it's completely happening. Is it not? Thus they will separate from Christ and they will have no strength to resist our power. And ere long, they will be ready to ridicule their former zeal and devotion. Kind of this idea that the worst critics will be those that were among us but leave. Same idea. How about the second angel? Another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. They become intoxicated with false doctrine. And really, what is Babylon but a compromised church spoken of in Revelation 17 in more detail. And the second angel's message identifies Babylon's teachings as error and points back to the first angel's call to worship the true God. That's what it is. This is what you're supposed to do. Come out of this. The problem is we believe the lie that we can just have a little bit of both. Just a little bit of Babylon. Just a little bit. Do you may know what that is? 
Great Wall of China. Holds special memories for you, but we won't talk about that today. I probably should have gotten some statistics. Maybe you could tell us how long this wall is, how tall it is, how thick it is. But the idea was these barbarians from the north were just constantly wreaking havoc. And so we're going to do this thing. We're going to build this wall. And so they erected this massive wall to divide everything. And now we can sit on the other side of the wall and just be safe and cozy and complacent. (sighs) Why are you so at ease? Wall. You know, in the first hundred years, they were invaded three times. Never once was it over the wall or through the wall. Do you know what it was every single time? Bribing a gatekeeper to just let us in. Friends, seven hours a day, our children and people out there are being bribed by, you know, they're bribing the gatekeeper, just let us in. And we'll tear down your biblical worldview so fast. It was the traitors within the walls that overthrew the strongholds of principle and betrayed Israel into the power of Satan. It is thus that Satan still seeks to compromise the ruin of the soul. A long preparatory process, unknown to the world, goes on in the heart before the Christian commits open sin. It's okay. We're patient. It's going to be a long preparatory process, but we'll win. The mind does not come down at once from purity and holiness to depravity, corruption, and crime. It takes time to degrade those formed in the image of God to the brutal or the satanic. But by beholding, we become changed. By the indulgence of impure thoughts, man can so educate his mind that sin which he once loathed will become pleasant to him. That's sad to me. Patriarchs and Prophets 459. Friends, the first angel's message is still a wake-up call. Fear God and worship him, for the hour of his judgment has come. He's coming soon. Do we care? Or is it just the summer of me? Amos 4.12 says, prepare to meet your God. If we were going to do that, what would that look like? He's coming over for lunch today. What are you going to do? Oh, that's too soon. Okay, he's coming over next month. He's coming over a year from now. What are you going to do? Well, if it's a year, I got a lot of time. Just hang out and look at more media, I guess. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us take that baton, the three angels' message, and let's run looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He promises every resource in heaven. He says the angels are just waiting, almost impatiently waiting to come down and to be our voice, to be our hands, to be our experience that we don't even have, to share this message. And they're just waiting, 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 and we just don't have time. We just don't have time. Should we go to the slip and slide park tomorrow? Yeah! The great burden of every soul should be, is my heart renewed? Is my soul transformed? Are my sins pardoned through faith in Christ? Have I been born again? Am I complying with the invitation, come unto me all that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? 
Again, I'm not picking on vacation. I'm not picking on water parks. But if our whole existence is entertainment and, and pleasuring self, and you get the idea. But as far as, as rest, Jesus says, I'll give you rest. If you need a break from the, from the labors, that's fine. But make sure I'm part of that. Bring your Bible. Pack it with you. Spend time, unrushed, unhurried time. What are we going to do? Is it going to be packed so full? No, I want to have some hours every day I can just spend in, in God's word. That's vacation. Do I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Those are the questions that we need to ask. And do I feel it my duty to believe every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? So will it be the summer of me? Or will it be the summer of thee? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to be there when you come to take us home. And Lord, next week we're going to look about what that entails. Yes, there's a mark of the beast, but you have a mark too, or a seal. And what does that look like? And Lord, it's not bad to take a vacation, to spend time with family, with friends, doing things that we enjoy. But Lord, may we not ever become so pleasure-hungry that we don't spend the time we need each and every day drawing from the wellsprings of life. Help us to be about your business in this time with your message, that when that role is called up yonder, we and others around us in our sphere of influence will be there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.